the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Let me just say, I want to thank you for your generosity with the Union Gospel Mission Radiothon yesterday. We exceeded our goal, and that's because you are generous and just wanted to let you know and to say thank you on behalf of Union Gospel Mission and KPDQ. Well, today we're looking forward to a conversation with Samuel Hakim. He is the founder and president of Redeeming the Nations Ministries. He's one of my favorite people. He, along with his wife, Marcel, favorite people on the planet. Just an incredible uh, Christ follower who has given and I'm referring to both of them, given all to serving the Lord. And we're going to talk with him about uh, redeeming the nations during this pandemic season, how uh, these circumstances have impacted evangelism in Arabic speaking countries and the event, the virtual banquet and celebration coming up this Sunday. Uh, and we'll give you the details on how to connect with that. That's going to be Sunday at 5 o'clock p.m. You can also go to the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page and the details are there uh, as well. So he's coming up in the second hour of today's program. We're going to wind our way through some of the top news stories from yesterday and today, beginning with Loudoun County. It's much in the news these days. Well, parents there are demanding that the superintendent resign over alleged sexual assault in the schools. More than 60 concerned parents, students, residents spoke at the Loudoun County School Board meeting on Tuesday evening, with many demanding the resignation of the superintendent in the wake of allegations that the school district covered up two uh, alleged sexual assaults. Well, parents attended the school board meeting with signs urging the uh, superintendent to resign. This is not China. This is the United States of America, and we will not be silenced, one irate mother said. Remove the superintendent immediately and then resign for your negligence and duplicity. End this nightmare. End quote. Well, parents pointed to two alleged assaults, the first in which the victim's father claims took place in May of this year, telling a Daily Wire reporter his ninth grade daughter was assaulted in the bathroom by a boy wearing a skirt. Elizabeth Lancaster, the attorney for the father of the alleged victim, said the boy was charged with two counts of forcible assault. I won't go into detail. One count. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, We can can confirm a May 28th case that involved a a thorough two month long investigation that was conducted to determine the facts of the case prior to arrest. The sheriff's office said the Loudoun County Sheriff's Office is not able to provide any documents that pertain to a pending case. The sheriff's office confirmed that the case involved a sexual assault. So it did, in fact, happen and charges are pending at the June 22nd um, board meeting. Uh, Ziegler declared the predator a transgender student or person simply does not exist and that to his knowledge, we don't have any record of assaults occurring in our restrooms. Well, that has since been proven to be wrong. In other developments, the Loudoun County School Board has elected a new member whom a GOP leader viewed as a moderate. The Loudoun County father who was arrested at the school board event says the school tried to cover up his daughter's bathroom assault. 
A Virginia student took on the local school board over the mask mandate, saying you're making people go nuts. And a conservative commentator has accused uh, the Loudoun County School Board of being child abusers. Well, the House has voted to lift the debt ceiling likely delaying the default slowdown until December. They just postponed it, essentially. House lawmakers approved a $480 billion hike to the debt ceiling on Tuesday, averting a potentially catastrophic U.S. default for at least another two months and teeing up another showdown over a long-term solution. While the Democrat-controlled House passed the measure in a 219-206 vote along party lines, The vote brought the House in sync with the Senate, which passed its own bill last week, raising the debt limit by $480 billion. President Biden is expected to, if he hasn't already, signed the bill. The resolution will allow the federal government to cover its debt obligations through the 3rd of December. Democratic lawmakers will use the temporary reprieve to identify a long-term solution to raise the debt limit without Republican support. Well, the debt ceiling bill's passage followed a lengthy standoff on Capitol Hill. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and business leaders had warned of a potential economic catastrophe if Congress did not approve a hike before the government runs out of money on the 18th of this month. Republican lawmakers pledged not to help the Democrats raise the debt ceiling, arguing a hike would only facilitate the administration's spending programs that they deemed to be fiscally irresponsible. The president and his party leaders have rejected that argument. They assert the hike ensures the U.S. government can cover debts it has already incurred. In other developments, the Speaker backed the debt ceiling proposal that would allow Treasury to raise the limit. And the White House has defended the plan to snoop on your bank accounts, saying they suspect there are a lot of there is rather a lot of cheating. Janet Yellen doubled down on the need for a global minimum tax and the elimination of the debt ceiling. So in addition uh, to um, you're having a greater debt. And if you divide that up across the country, that means you are liable for that debt because the federal government doesn't generate uh, income on its own. She thinks you ought to pay a um, global minimum tax as well. Well, the U.S. plans to reopen land borders next month for the fully vaccinated. And the Marine officer who criticized senior U.S. officials over the Afghanistan withdrawal pled guilty to all of the charges. Lindsey Graham says the Border Patrol have been and are abandoned by the uh, Biden administration. And Skechers has dropped former coach Jen Gruden as the uh, or rather John Gruden as their brand ambassador following the email scandal. Paul McCartney slammed the Rolling Stones, calling them a blues cover band. <sighs> live and let live. Well, the so-called quit rate has hit an historic high as the number of job openings has declined and expect to pay more for food, gasoline and rent. But there's more. That's not all. Elon Musk is slashing the price of his Silicon Valley mansion by a lot. So if you're on the market, he might want to check that out. Kanye West has listed his famous ranch and business properties for sale as well. Nancy Pelosi pressed the media, urging them to do better at selling the president's massive spending plan. Now, is that the job of a journalist? Well, the answer is a resounding no. Well, uh, Town Hall reports asked whether Democrats have failed to effectively persuade the public that a massive influx of social spending is necessary. The speaker turned the question around on the reporter. Well, I think you all could do a better job of selling it, to be very frank with you, because every time I come here, I go through the list, medical leave, climate, the issues that are in there. Pelosi said town hall went on to say, oh, so it's the media's fault that Americans aren't thrilled about trillions of dollars spent on woke special interests and priorities. It couldn't possibly have anything to do with the inflation that's already hitting Americans across the board.
And the White House is warning there will be shortages as Christmas approaches. There will be things that people just can't get. Now, one thing you can get as we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, no shortage of grace or forgiveness, um, uh, Emmanuel with us. So at least you can take some comfort in that. Reuters reports that the White House officials scramble to relieve global supply bottlenecks choking U.S. ports, highways and railways, warn that Americans may face higher prices and some empty shelves this Christmas season. So they might have to look to something else to make it a special time. Is that a blessing or a curse? I'll let you decide. Breitbart says the White House's warnings comes as shipping containers remain backlogged at ports on both the Country's coasts, recent reports say 65 cargo ships are waiting to dock the high-traffic port of Los Angeles, which is currently full. Additionally, 8,000 shipping containers are stuck at the port of Savannah. And Fox reports that Dana Perino warned Tuesday that the Biden administration is on the brink of facing a major crisis of confidence with increasing concerns over supply chain shortages and empty shelves ahead of the holidays. Nothing says return to normal like a shortage of toilet paper. That's what we're going to see. We're getting into a crisis of confidence danger zone when little Jesse Jr. cannot get his Christmas present. That will be bad. Perino went on to say. But there is another thing beyond people not getting Christmas presents. Think of other companies and people who do seasonal holiday work where they are helping ship things out, she said. There will be no need to do that. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll continue our look at the news when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we'll talk with Samuel Hakim, founder and president of Redeeming the Nation's Ministries. Also, they have their virtual banquet that's coming up on Sunday, 5 o'clock p.m. You can go to their website for more information. RTNM.org is the website. Go to the um, Welcome uh, tab and you'll find how to link with that event. Well, record numbers of workers are quitting their jobs. Are we losing a sense of dignity of work? Is the question. U.S. News says that about 4.3 million people quit their jobs in August, accounting for nearly 3% of the workforce. That's according to the Labor Department data. Meanwhile, job openings declined to 10.4 million on the last day of August, down from a high of more than 11 million in July. Jerry Bauer of Town Hall Finance says economics isn't just about incentives. It's also about culture. And we have undergone a cultural revolution, one in which idleness is no longer stigmatized. Well, the author of the Patriot Act has spoken up saying, no, it doesn't apply to parents. In the face of the threat of raw political use of the Patriot Act on parents at school board meetings, James Sensenbrenner, author of the Act and former congressman from Wisconsin, set the record straight. Democrats' hostility toward parents seeking a voice in their children's education is not new. Of greater concern is the recent attempt to weaponize our criminal laws to eliminate those voices. Hostility toward parents seeking a voice in their children's education is not new. Of greater concern are these uh, attempts. You can read more about that in the Wall Street Journal. And a number of the school board groups uh, say that the national board overstepped. Thirteen state school board associations claim that their national headquarters never consulted them before requesting federal intervention from the Biden administration to investigate threats, in quotes, by parents to determine whether they constitute domestic terrorism or hate crimes under the Patriot Act. National Review Online. You can read more on that. 
Afghanistan is on the edge of chaos as the economy is spiraling. Members of the G20 gathered virtually on Tuesday as the world deals with the fallout from the precipitous withdrawal of U.S. troops and the near immediate takeover by the Taliban. German Chancellor Angela Merkel pleaded, saying the country should not be allowed to descend into chaos. The New York Times reports the secretary general of the Norwegian Refugee Council reports from her recent trip to the country. The economy is spiraling out of control. And unless money starts flowing soon, a total economic collapse will plunge Afghans into a humanitarian catastrophe. The desperation is everywhere. I hope we're still praying for Afghanistan. Jen Psaki admits the Biden administration is using COVID to change the economy. Don't let a crisis go to waste. Well, if it wasn't already clear that the Biden administration was using the Wuhan coronavirus to exert more power and control over the country, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki made it clear in Tuesday's briefing. When asked about the potential of cutting some programs and thereby reducing the price tag in Biden's $4.5 trillion budget proposal, the White House press secretary rejected the notion. In the White House's view, all of Biden's priorities must be included and passed as soon as possible. The president, and I'm quoting, wants to make fundamental change in our economy, and he feels coming out of the pandemic is exactly the time to do that. Well, according to Benny Johnson on Twitter, they just said uh, the quiet part out loud. Nancy Pelosi is pondering what she would do if she ruled the world. I'm sorry, I thought I had a nightmare just then. Pelosi delivered a speech at the 67th annual session of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, Parliamentary Assembly in Lisbon, Portugal, after being named the first recipient of the Women for Peace and Security Award. People ask me, if you rule the world, what one thing would you do? I think about that a lot, she says, the House Speaker. It would be to prioritize the education of women and girls, she said. It would make the biggest difference not only in their lives, their families, their communities, but the world. Of course, these are not women in utero. They, of course, don't matter. Jacob Schneider says, yeah, I'll bet she does think about this a lot. Democrats fear losing the majority as the midterms approach. Political reports that Democrats have the gridlock problem with President Joe Biden's social spending plan. Too big. Some moderates worry it could cost them their seats. Too small. The progressives fret the base will stay home. But almost everybody concedes that if they fail to pass anything, there may be no path to keeping their majorities in Congress next November. Actor Dean Cain slammed DC Comics on their announcement that the new Superman is bisexual. Uh, The New York Post reports uh, what he said. They said it's a bold new direction. I say they're um, bandwagoning, Cain defiantly declared. Uh, Robin just came out as bi. Who's really shocked about that? uh, That one. The new Captain America is gay. My daughter in the TV series Supergirl, where I play the father, was gay. So I don't think it's bold or brave or some crazy new direction. If they had done this 20 years ago, perhaps then it would have been bold or brave. I would just add it's completely unnecessary. They're comic book characters. Who cares about their sexuality? But these days you sexualize everything. Well, the House uh, sent the debt limit to hike to the president, staving off a default for now. All 206 House Republicans voted against raising the debt ceiling. Nancy Pelosi signals the colossal spending package will shrink to only $2 trillion. And she doubles down on her support for the powerful IRS tracking, uh, tracking rather of your bank account. Transactions, $600 or more. House Budget Committee Chairman John Yarmuth, he plans to retire, giving the GOP with a prime pickup opportunity. 
And the Department of Homeland Security Secretary has ordered ICE to stop worksite raids and the latest limits on immigration enforcement. In other words, the law is irrelevant. I thought we were a nation of laws, but apparently we can pick and choose which ones we want to enforce. Uh, Drivers wanted the U.S. supply chain can't keep up uh, on trucking and a record 4.3 million workers quit their jobs in August, led by food and retail industries. People don't want to be the police. Chicago and other cities are suffering officer shortages. They can't find recruits and they're surprised. Ben and Jerry's co-founder was stumped when pressed about the Israel boycott hypocrisy when asked responding. I don't know. Uh, Cancel culture failure. A professor booted from an MIT lecture drew thousands for his alternative online speech. Apparently, somebody wanted to hear him. And a judge uh, ruling uh, strikes a blow to Kentucky's new school choice law. A second Facebook whistleblower is willing to testify before Congress. And an NBA team has banned its star player, Kyrie Irving, until he gets vaccinated. He's decided, no, I'm not going to. Well, the Biden administration is planning to exempt some Taliban era Afghan civil servants from U.S. terror related entry restrictions. The administration is planning to allow some Afghan civil servants who were employed by the 96 2001 Taliban government to be exempt from terror related bans on entering the United States, according to a draft document obtained by Fox News. The administration continues to bring in tens of thousands of Afghans as part of the U.S. withdrawal from the country. Now, the draft U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services planning document reviewed by Fox News outlines how the Department of Homeland Security is planning on issuing a memorandum to allow civil servants who worked during the Taliban regime to be exempted from terrorism related inadmissibility grounds if they fulfill other background and screening requirements. Trig, as it's called places limits on individuals who are members of a terrorist organization or who are engaged in terrorism, making them inadmissible to the U.S. and ineligible for immigration benefits. The website says that the definition of terrorism-related activity is relatively broad and may apply to individuals and activities not commonly thought of as associated with terrorism. It means the trig would likely rule out those who worked under the Taliban regime, which ruled from 1996 until its ouster by the U.S. in 2001 due to its harboring of al-Qaeda after the 9-11 attacks. Many individuals who worked in civil service positions before the declaration of the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan in 1996 continued to do so after the declaration, the document says, in justification of the application. Some did so under duress or other situations of hardship. Well, some use their positions in humanitarian capacities to mitigate the repressive actions of the Taliban regime, often at great personal risk. Some of these civil servants later worked for uh, or helped the International Security Assistance Force, the U.S. government or the Afghan government that was established in December of 2001. It went on to add. Well, senators are alarmed after unvetted Afghan refugees walked off military bases, apparently by the hundreds, and the House GOP bill would reclaim Congress's authority over refugee admissions and in the Department of Homeland Security's parole authority. Senator Tom Cotton says President Biden's Afghan refugee blunders, including improper vetting, creates a host of problems for the U.S. And finally, the interpreter who helped rescue then-Senator Biden has himself escaped Afghanistan, saying the Taliban has no mercy. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, Samuel Hakim, founder and president of Redeeming the Nations Ministries, will join me to talk about the virtual banquet that's coming up this Sunday. It's a banquet and celebration. You can join us from the comfort of your own home. That's on Sunday at 5 o'clock p.m. You can go to the website. Uh, rtnm.org. That's Redeeming the Nation's Ministry. rtnm.org. Go to the Welcome tab, and that's how you can uh, join us at 5 o'clock on Sunday. So we'll, he'll, he'll join us here in the second hour of today's program. Well, Texas-based Southwest and American Airlines plan to abide by the Biden vaccine mandate despite the conflicting ban from um, Governor Abbott, Southwest and American, they both based uh, are based rather out of Texas. They reportedly plan to continue requiring the vaccine for their employees, despite Governor Abbott's new ban on vaccine mandates this week. Violators of the governor's ex, uh, executive order that affects private businesses and which he says is to keep Texans from losing their livelihoods could face fines, according to The Washington Post. The vaccine must always be voluntary for Texans, the governor said in that order. But President Biden also issued a conflicting federal mandate that will soon go into effect, requiring businesses with more than 100 employees and all federal employees and contractors to either have their employees get vaccinated or submit to testing. Both American and Southwest have tens of thousands of employees, according to The Post. And many suspect that the uh, delays and Flight cancellations from Southwest over the last several days were directly linked to that very thing. Well, Southwest CEO Gary Kelly told CNBC on Tuesday, I've never been in favor of corporations imposing that kind of mandate, but the executive order from President Biden mandates that all federal employees and then all federal contractors, which covers all the major airlines, have to have a mandate vaccine in place by December the 8th. Uh, So we're working through that, end quote. In other developments, Ron Johnson penned a letter to the president and the Department of Defense questioning the military vaccine mandate. And a Times Square billboard is hammering President Biden over forced covid jabs. It reads, hey, Joe, time to let the mandate go. Also, vaccine mandates could lead to police and firefighters walking out, walking away from their jobs in urban areas. And Dr. Fauci says the covid-19 pandemic is uncontrolled. A 66 million remain unvaccinated. Well, a Republican nabbed an Iowa House seat in a special election held by Democrats for decades. Republicans in the Iowa House won a special election on Tuesday and claimed a seat that had been held by a Democrat in the state for decades. John Dunwell, 55, a pastor and financial services representative, flipped Iowa House District 29 from blue to red after winning about 60 percent of the vote, the Des Moines Register reported. Well, the victory, which marks the second special election win for Republicans in recent weeks, gives the party a 60-40 majority in the state's house, the paper said. Iowans are sending a clear message. They wholly reject the policies and agenda of Iowa Democrats. That's a quote from Jeff Kaufman. He's the head of the state's Republican Party in a statement. He said it is the hope that the state's GOP will help put an end to the chaos we are seeing coming out of Washington, D.C. In other developments, Senator Warren sounds the alarm on The View. Break up Facebook before the 2022 elections and true steel will come along. Not sure what that means, but that's a direct quote. George's Raffensperger, eh, something like that, um, uh, med Fulton County after the uh, ballot applications were uh, shredded, saying uh, Georgia has a long way to go. 
And gubernatorial candidate Terry McAuliffe has boasted he'll build education in the wake of saying parents should have little say in it. And Governor Christy Nome says we can't rely on a debt-ridden federal government to take care of us. And yet most of us will do just that, or at least attempt it. A Pentagon report has revealed a disturbing trend among active-duty service members is only getting worse. Suicides in the U.S. Army's active-duty forces jumped 46 percent compared to last year. Documents reveal there was no good reason why police killed a woman on January the 6th during the Capitol protest. And Joe Rogan forced Dr. Sanjay Gupta to admit that CNN shouldn't have called his COVID treatment a horse dewormer when mocking the talk show host's doctor-prescribed COVID treatment. It was not a horse dewormer. There was a human version. Protesters um, protesting uh, President Biden uh, said that he's complicit in the ma- in mass death. They swarmed the White House gates. That was the day before yesterday. And Dylan Roof's request to consider reconsider recusal was denied. Roof's chances of for new appellate hearing continue to dwindle with the court refusing to reconsider recusing itself from his appeal over his death sentence and conviction and the 2015 racist slaying of nine members of a black South Carolina congregation. And a Democrat called Democratic Speaker Nancy Pelosi's buff, bluff rather, in an email to voters with one key question. Progressive Caucus Chair Representative Pramila Jayapal was fundraising by criticizing the House Speaker for a Monday comment that Democrats will have to cut the price of their reconciliation bill by including fewer programs. Well, the huge Social Security payment increase could have devastating consequences to the longevity of the dwindling program. And a billionaire supermarket owner warns higher prices will stick around at least until mid-2022. What is that, June-ish? Well, could Apple's AirPods end up saving your life? Well, Apple Inc. is studying ways to make AirPod into a health device, including for enhancing hearing, reading, uh, body temperature, and monitoring posture, to name just a few. Well, new inflation numbers see the fastest rise in 13 years. The Wall Street Journal reports, is inflation still transitory, as the Federal Reserve and White House like to say? Uh, not if they, if you're, uh, you've been visiting the grocery store, gas pump, online retailer, or anything else across the U.S. economy. The Labor Department said the consumer price index rose 0.4% in September, up from 0.3% in August. This means the price level has increased 5.4% in the last 12 months and 6.5% on an annual basis so far in 2021. This is the largest year-over-year increase since 2008, and the details in the report add to the evidence that inflation is likely to be persistent. You can read more on that in the Wall Street Journal. Heather Long with Town Hall makes the point that prices are rising, real wages are down, and Americans are struggling to get back to work. All hallmarks, rather, of Joe Biden's Build Back Better broke agenda. And consumer prices rising higher than expected and families facing the highest inflation rate in over 13 years. There could uh, could not be a worse possible time for uh, trillions in reckless, uh, reckless tax hikes and spending. Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel released a statement on Wednesday morning. Well, what's actually in President Biden's $3.5 trillion budget? Well, the short answer is a lot. The Republican Study Committee provided a look at some of the worst parts. Town Hall reports the sticker shock of the president's $3.5 trillion budget, which uh, really is closer to 5 to $6 trillion. 
is uh, bad enough. Unsurprisingly, the specific radical provisions within it are more cause for alarm. Thankfully, staff of the uh, Republican Study Committee at the direction of Chairman Jim Banks has taken the time to review all the uh, elements within the bill to give the American people a better idea of just what um, Biden and his allies on Capitol Hill hope to pass without scrutiny. You can check that out. One example, uh, number five of many examples, $80 billion slush fund to hire 87,000 IRS agent army to carry out the president's uh, plan to review every account above $600 uh, as a balance. Well, the president has ordered 24-7 work at the docks around the country to deal with the backlog. Critics charge it will accomplish, well, zero. Ed Morrissey says, color me entirely unsurprised that the consequences of shutting down complicated supply chain systems can't be fixed with a few extra shifts. After Joe Biden and his team spent months dithering on those issues, they have suddenly decided that Biden needed to do something as consumers and retailers look at a potentially miserable Christmas. The Washington Post, Craig uh, Grossgart says he's the senior vice president for Global Ocean at Seco Logistics, says it will be accomplished zero. It's just window dressing. Meanwhile, the supply chain disaster reveals our dangerous dependence on other countries, primarily China. The supply chain disaster has also revealed the existence of crippling economic dependence, particularly on China, in high-income countries. Today, whole industries in the West, from medical equipment to chip and car makers to food, rely on China for finishing products and key components. When China cannot or decides not to supply these parts, whole industries suffer debilitating supply chain shortages. Something to think about moving forward. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break. We'll continue to take a look at the day's news. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we'll talk with Samuel Hakim, founder and president of Redeeming the Nation's Ministries. They have the virtual banquet and celebration coming up on Sunday at 5. You can... Learn more in our conversation as well as go to the website rtnm.org. Well, Mississippi has filed a reply brief in the Dodds abortion case, and it is outstanding. Quoting their reply brief, um, uh, Roe and Casey were egregiously wrong when they were decided. The factual standstill would just mean that they are as wrong now as they were decades ago. The Gestational Age Act operates when an unborn child is fully taken on the human form, when risks to women's health is uh, higher, and when the common abortion procedure is especially brutal. This court should overrule Roe and Casey, uphold the act, and reverse the judgment below. You can read more about that in the National Review online. Ryan Anderson of... Um, EPPC says the brief is simply outstanding, as they argue Roe and Casey are indefensible, and the Supreme Court of the United States should finally overturn them. Kudos to A.G. Lynn Fitch and to my old friend S.G. Scott Stewart. We'll see what this, the Supreme Court decides to do. They're taking up that case on December 1st. Emails reveal President Biden may have benefited from his son Hunter's business while in office. National Review reports that in September of 2019, then presidential candidate Joe Biden claimed that he never discussed business with his son Hunter, who had leveraged the family name to uh, rake uh, in overseas cash from China. 
uh, Chinese communist and Ukrainian energy interests. I have never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings, Biden said. Here's what I know. Trump should be investigated, end quote. Well, Daily Mail says emails recovered by the DailyMail.com from Hunter's abandoned laptop between Hunter and Eric uh, Svurin. His business partner as at consultancy Rosemont Seneca show uh, that he was working on Joe's taxes, discussing the father and son paying each other's household bills and even fielding requests for a book deal for the then vice president, as well as managing the donation of Joe's Senate papers to the University of Delaware. Red State reports that then if Hunter was paying Joe's bills, as the email suggests, then Joe was personally benefiting from Hunter's business. Hunter said in one of his emails that half of his salary went to his father. Walgreens plans to close five stores in San Francisco, citing retail theft in the city. Walgreens announced on Tuesday that it's shutting down five additional stores because the continued retail theft that's plagued the city due to ongoing organized retail crime. We have made the difficult decision to close five stores across San Francisco, a Walgreens spokesperson said in a statement. Each store will transfer prescriptions to a nearby Walgreens location within a mile radius, and we expect to place the store team members in other nearby locations. Organized retail crime continues to be a challenge facing retailers across San Francisco, and we are not immune to that. The statement continued. The Daily Signal points out a 2014 California law reduced the threat, the theft rather of less than $950 worth of goods from a felony to a misdemeanor. A number of experts have criticized the law for enabling the spike in shoplifting during the pandemic. Well, President Biden defied warnings from the Pentagon and purchased Chinese drones. The Washington Times reports that the administration ignored an explicit warning from the Pentagon about cybersecurity concerns tied to Chinese-made drones and drone parts. Proceeding with the purchase of such materials from a top Chinese company that the Trump administration blacklisted for national security reasons. A review of internal government procurement documents by The Washington Times found that the Secret Service went ahead with buying eight commercial surveillance drones manufactured by the Chinese drone-making giant Da Jiang Innovations after the Pentagon issued its warning in July. PJ Media points out the FBI also acquired blacklisted DJI drones this year. A Seattle school has canceled its Halloween celebration, citing it marginalized people of color. Uh, Following five years of uh, deliberations about the future of the school's annual pumpkin parade, Benjamin Franklin Elementary School has decided to nix the holiday tradition this year on the advice of the school's racial equity team. There's much more that could be said about that. I don't have time to go into it, but um, perhaps another day. Live near the coast and enjoy your view? Well, get ready to see wind farm after wind farm. That is, if the administration successfully executes their plan. The Biden administration announced on Wednesday a plan to develop large-scale wind farms along nearly the entire coastline of the United States. The first long-term strategy from the government to produce electricity from offshore turbines. Too little, too late. President Biden stepped in as uh, delays cripple the supply chain. And incredulously, he lauded the uh, port czar, saying he's done one heck of a job despite the supply chain crisis. A White House um, uh, chief of staff dismissed the supply chain crisis and uh, surging inflation, calling them high class problems. I have to admit I was a little flattered because it's a problem for me and I didn't consider myself 
high class. Apparently, I am, because it's killing my budget. In the latest example of the left media, Katie Couric admits to covering up Ruth Bader Ginsburg's dislike for taking the knee. She thought it might hurt her image, so Katie made the decision to edit that portion of the conversation. Mark Zuckerberg spent $419 million on nonprofits ahead of the 2020 election and got out the Democrat vote. What's the point of checking in? Leaked Border Patrol documents show mass release of illegal immigrants into the U.S. by the Biden administration. Five um, people on board a flight out of Afghanistan intended to hijack the aircraft, we have now learned. And suicides in the U.S. Army active duty forces jumped 46 percent. Five are dead in an Islamist bow and arrow attack in Norway. Social Security benefits will increase 5.9 percent in 2022 amid rising inflation, threatening the long term viability of the program. And the huge Social Security cost of living increase could accelerate the trust's depletion. Well, drug overdose deaths uh, hit a record high during the pandemic. 12-month period, and employer vaccine mandates are a step closer to reality as OSHA submitted the uh, rule text to the Office of Management and Budget for review. I mentioned a day or so ago that the president had made public statements about a mandate but hadn't filed any paperwork making it an actual mandate that apparently is now in the works. Follow the science. Um, A man's kidney transplant has been canceled because the donor wasn't vaccinated. Virginia Democrats voted to allow schools to refrain from reporting sexual battery last year. And Seattle school canceled a Halloween event over equity, saying black kids don't celebrate Halloween. That was news to many black residents in the city. Virginia City that removed police from schools followed the following rather the defund police protests have now reinstated those officers. And a federal judge found a D.C. jail warden in contempt, demanding a Department of Justice civil rights probe of the January 6th detainees. And the Trump team claims Mark Milley never told them of his China worries and that phone call that now is considered so controversial. Well, this week in history, 1964, Martin Luther King Jr. is named winner of the Nobel Peace Prize. He would receive that award on December 10th. 1964. 1912, Theodore Roosevelt, campaigning for the presidency, is shot in the chest in Milwaukee. Despite the wound, he goes ahead with the the scheduled speech. 1933, Nazi Germany announces it is withdrawing from the League of Nations. 1947, U.S. Air Force Captain Charles Chuck Yeager becomes the first test pilot to break the sound barrier as he files the... uh, rather flies the experimental Bell XS-1, later X-1 rocket plane, over a Murrock Dry Lake in California. 1968, the first successful live telecast from a manned U.S. spacecraft is transmitted from Apollo 7. 1987, a 58-hour drama begins in Midland, Texas, as 18-month-old Jessica McClure slides 22 feet down a narrow abandoned well at a private daycare center. And yes, she was rescued. 2009, the Unification Church holds the largest mass wedding in a decade, with some 40,000 people participating in dozens of cities across the world. 2014, on this day in history, a second nurse at Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital, Dallas, comes down with Ebola after contracting it from a dying patient. The nurse, Amber Joy Vinson, would be later declared free of the disease. And finally, on this day in history, 2017, a truck bombing in Somalia's capital kills more than 500 people in one of the world's deadliest attacks in years. 
Officials blame the attack on the extremist group Al-Shabaab and say it was cement to target Mogadishu's international airport, but the bomb detonated in a crowded street after soldiers opened fire. Well, Oregonians will get 17 percent of their 2020 Oregon income taxes back as a kicker credit when they file their 2021 taxes next year. The Oregon Department of Revenue announced on Tuesday revenue officials determined more than a month ago that Oregon's unique kicker rebate law would generate a jaw dropping one point nine billion dollars. But they needed to finalize and certify exactly how much each tax filer would be entitled to. Well, the official answer is seventeen point three four one percent of twenty twenty state income taxes paid. Taxpayers can find their 2020 tax liability on line 22 of their 2020 form for the state of Oregon. Oregonians get a kicker rebate when the state's revenue exceeds by 2% or more what the state forecasters projected far ahead of time. No other state has a similar law. People who paid 2020 Oregon income taxes can file for and receive the credit in 2022, even if they don't owe Oregon taxes on their 2021 income. And what's my kicker calculator is uh, currently... Uh, active on the uh, Revenue Agency's website for personal income tax filers. So you can check that out to calculate your kicker. You'll enter your name, your Social Security number, filing status for 2020 and 2021. If you owe the state money, whether uh, for back taxes or for other items such as court fines or child support, however, the state may use all or part of your kicker uh, that uh, for that debt first. But the kicker rebate has been finalized 17% of your 2020 state income taxes. And two of Oregon's most influential unions have bargained with the state to allow employees of the state executive branch more time to comply with Governor Kate Brown's mandate, which requires them to be vaccinated by the 18th of this month. And that, of course, is next week or risk losing their jobs. It didn't waive it altogether. It just lengthened the amount of time people have to comply, according to the press secretary for the governor, the governor has agreed to a process which will allow employees represented by the SEIU Local 503 and Ask Me Local uh, 75 who have received at least one dose of COVID-19 vaccine by October 18th to complete their immunization by November 30th. The agreements with two of the state's largest public employee unions will provide an extra six weeks um, or just over 26,800 workers to comply with the mandate. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up here at the top of the hour. When we return, we'll hear from Samuel Hakim, founder and president of Redeeming the Nations, in our second segment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. I'm so thrilled that you're with us because coming up in our next segment, one of my favorite people on the planet, Samuel Hakim, who is the founder and president of Redeeming the Nation's Ministries, is going to join me. We're going to talk about uh, how the ministry has fared during this pandemic season, not just here at home in terms of fundraising and efforts to uh, to do the ministry, but how it's impacted those to whom they minister to uh, living in Arab-speaking nations. We're also going to make sure you have all the important details about their upcoming virtual banquet and celebration. That's this Sunday night at 5 o'clock p.m. We'll give you all the important details. You can also check out uh, that information on the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page. Again, Samuel Hakim will join me coming up in our next couple of segments. I also want to mention during Pastors Appreciation Month, you can show love to your pastor 
or pastors when you enter the Pastor Appreciation Rest and Relaxation Getaway Giveaway. That's a lot to say. Well, enter for, uh, for your pastor's chance to win a seven-day getaway for two to the Cove, a ministry of the Billy Graham Association in North Carolina. Wouldn't wouldn't your pastor love that? Well, it includes airfare, meals, a $500 Visa gift card, and more. You can show your pastor you love and appreciate them for the hard work that they do. Enter today at kpdq.com for the pastor's... Um, Appreciation, rest and relaxation get away. Well, after the Senate advanced a temporary lift in the debt uh, limit of $480 billion last week in a 50 to 48 party line vote, the measure passed in the House Tuesday, staving off a default crisis. The short term extension, which now heads to the president's desk for his signature, which he will sign, was proposed as a compromise by Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Through it, the Republicans would allow Democrats to use normal procedures to pass an emergency debt limit extension at a fixed dollar amount to cover current spending levels into December. And they'll have to take it all up again. McConnell's offer gave Democrats the votes necessary to overcome a filibuster in the Senate, which was uh, broken on a 61 to 38 vote on Thursday to enact the increase. Well, for months, McConnell and the GOP have refused to support raising the debt ceiling to subsidize what they have called new spending sprees spearheaded by the Democrats. Well, Republicans have insisted that the Democrats finance their own massive social spending packages through the reconciliation process, which Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said others have rejected. Well, many Republican representatives still oppose the increase at the House vote, but did facilitate, at least in the Senate, it moving forward. And it's now on the president's desk. Well, this week, a month after the president announced his COVID vaccine mandate on all businesses with 100 or more employees, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration submitted its proposed rule to the Office of Management and Budget for review. The Labor Department stated the Occupational Safety and Health Administration has been working expeditiously to develop an emergency temporary standard that covers employees with 100 or more employees to ensure their workers are fully vaccinated or undergo weekly testing to protect employees from the spread of coronavirus in the workplace. Now, there are some exceptions to that. Uh, in some cases, you must have the vaccine and there is no option for regular testing. A feature of the new OS, uh, OSHU, let's see, it's a OSHA uh, rule will require employers to give paid time off for their employees to get the COVID vaccine and for recovery if needed. Those companies caught not complying would face substantial fines, upwards of $14,000 per violation. And that sounds like a standoff with the state of Texas. We'll see what happens next. It's going to be interesting to see how this new um, regulation will be handled. Uh, we'll handle another issue. Thus far, only one of the vaccines, the Pfizer BioNTech version, has received full FDA approval. Will employees who have already received the Moderna or Johnson & Johnson vaccines still be considered in compliance under OSHA's rule, despite the fact that neither has received full FDA approval? Now, I can't confirm that at this time, but I think that Moderna has uh, just received approval, but I need to confirm that. Meanwhile, 24 states, Republican attorneys general, have been waiting for OSHA to produce the finalized rules so that they can follow through on their threat to sue the administration um, over this disastrous and counterproductive mandate. Their choice of words in that suit. The president lectured when announcing his mandate, we've had patient uh, patience 
about our patience is wearing thin. Yeah, well, the feeling is mutual, so it ain't over until ultimately it's over. As I mentioned, the president announced on Wednesday the steps his administration has taken to address the supply chain bottlenecks, beginning with the operations at two ports in California, Los Angeles and Long Beach, which are among the largest in the world and are responsible for about 40 percent of shipping containers that are imported into the United States. They're going to help speed up the delivery of goods all across America, he said, after weeks of negotiation and working with my team and with the major union and retailers and freight workers. The Port of Los Angeles, the Port of Los Angeles announced today that it's going to be begin operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week, end quote. According to the president, well, this follows the port of Long Beach's commitment to 24-7 that it announced just weeks ago. In total, that will almost double the number of hours that the port is open for business from earlier this year. In fact, during off-peak hours in Los Angeles, cargo leaves the port at a 25 percent faster pace than during the day shift. So by increasing the number of late night hours of operation, the president says, and opening up for less crowded hours when the goods can move faster, the announcement has the potential to um, to be a game changer. Now, there are others who suggest that it's going to make no difference at all. I'm not sure where the truth lies, but time will tell as we observe what actually happens. Well, leaked Border Patrol documents show mass release of uh, immigrants who entered the country illegally being released into the U.S. by the administration. They're releasing enormous numbers um, with little to no oversight. At least 160,000 have been released into the U.S., often with little or no supervision by the administration since March, including a broad use of limited parole authorities to make more than 30,000 eligible for work permits since August Excuse me, according to the Border Patrol documents that have been obtained. This is a developing story and we will certainly continue to follow it. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. It gets better coming up with our next segment as Samuel Hakeem will join me. He's the founder and president of Redeeming the Nations Ministries. It's a media ministry that's doing some amazing things. We'll talk with him about that in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. You know, from time to time, I like to check in on some of the ministries that are doing significant work for the kingdom of God in our community. And one such ministry is Redeeming the Nations Ministry. Samuel Hakim is the founder and president of Redeeming the Nations. And I invited him to join us today to talk a bit about the ministry in the midst of a pandemic, as well as a virtual banquet and celebration that's coming up this Sunday. So once again, Samuel Hakim joins us. He is the founder and president. President of Redeeming the Nations. Welcome. Hi, Georgian. Thank you for having me. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you. I want to talk about um, the challenge that the ministry has faced in these months since the pandemic broke about a year and a half ago. Before I get to that, though, you know, I've had some health challenges this year, and I know you have as well. Um, can you give us an update on how you're doing personally and physically and what God is doing in your life? Yes, first, I want to take this as an opportunity to give thanks and praise to the Lord. Uh, The last two years has been a really rough ride for me personally. Uh, I was diagnosed with cancer at the end of 2019. I had a big uh, cancer uh, surgery to remove it. And uh, then I was diagnosed with some heart problems in 2020 and ended up with an open-heart surgery February this year. 
And then I got hit with COVID after that while I'm recovering from my open heart surgery. So I got hospitalized twice with the COVID. But overall, I thank God I'm still on my feet and uh, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. And I feel that he's giving me another opportunity to serve him. I feel that the Lord is not done with his work in my life yet. Well, I'm I'm certainly grateful for that. One of the things that I admire and respect about you, and there are many things, is when I asked you if it would be all right if I brought uh, your physical challenges up on the program today, the one thing that you said, it's an opportunity for me to give glory to God. And that really, I think, is a, a summary of your uh, approach to life in general, um, doing all to the glory of God. And even during those seasons when you were physically challenged, you continued as much as was possible. Uh, you continued in the ministry. Now, let me ask you about the the pandemic. The last time you and I talked, we were in the midst of it. And of course, there have been lots of challenges in a number of areas. Uh, how has the, the pandemic uh, impacted not just redeeming the nation's ministry here in the in this area, but reaching Muslims uh, around the world and in particular Muslim background believers? Well, thank you for asking about that, Georgine. Uh, we are not the only ministry that got impacted by the pandemic, mm-hmm. but I see some positive and negative impact of the pandemic. And uh, our perspective is always try to find the positive, not focus on the negative. Let me share some of the positive with you and our audience. Mm-hmm. Number one, we have seen uh, more openness among Muslims to find God. Many, many Muslims uh, are questioning themselves and questioning their faith. If the pandemic is going to end up my life, where am I going to go? Am I on the right direction? And they start searching, and I always say to our uh, friends, God does not play hide-and-seek with anyone. His desire is to make Jesus known. Jesus is the only way to heaven, and he wants that to be known to everyone. When they are seeking, he will meet them, and he will open their eyes and their hearts. On the other side, I have seen more awareness, even among the believers, that this life is short. And the end of the world can be soon. I'm, I'm using some terms that uh, the general public would know. We, they call it the end of the world. Mm-hmm. As Christians, we might use different biblical terms, but basically a lot of people are, are aware now that this life can end any time. So the believers, some of them, and we thank God for that, are encouraged to seize the opportunity uh, and serve the Lord to the maximum capacity. We thank God that's a positive thing. The other thing I have seen as an impact of COVID is thirst and hunger among the new converts to be discipled, to get deep in the relationship with the Lord. Uh, Before that uh, pandemic hit us, it was a struggle. Some Christians or some Muslims, they come to the Lord and become Christians, but they wouldn't mature as fast as we like to see them maturing. After the pandemic, we found that they are getting into discipleship. They are getting into meeting on weekly basis. They are reading their Bibles. 
and they are asking questions. And we thank God for the technology. We had a big struggle in years past to deliver Bibles to people in difficult cases. Sometimes we cannot mail it because the mail will be opened. We cannot even deliver it because they might be watched and the person is delivering the Bible to them might get arrested. But we thank God because of the technology now, all what I have to do most of the time, send them a link to download the Bible on their phone or read it even online. And many uh, Muslim converts are thirsty and hungry to study the Word of God. We have multiple uh, Bible studies every week uh, to reach out to new converts and teach them the Word of God using Zoom, using Facebook. And many days I have to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning because we have a Zoom meeting at 6 or 7 in the morning to to teach them the Word of God. So this is a positive thing. Uh, there's some negatives that happened as a result of the pandemic. And I will share that with you, but I like to give God praise for the positives yes. that we see. And we have to seize every opportunity, seize the time, because we don't know when the daylight is going to be ended. So we have to be uh, aware of that, and we have to seize every opportunity. But some of the negatives that we have seen uh, during this uh, horrible year and a half, and we pray that uh, it's going to be over quickly. We don't want to stay in this situation for too long. Uh, but anyway, limitation uh, in fellowship, and I think that we can talk about it locally and internationally. As the body of Christ, we are not able to worship and fellowship uh, freely like we used to. Many people are still scared even to go to a local church. Many people are scared to, to see other believers without a mask. So there's some limitations in the fellowship, and that's even more overseas. Uh, until a couple of weeks ago, when I was talking to some believers in a Muslim country, they said they have uh, curfews, so they cannot stay out after certain hours, and they even have curfew not to travel outside their cities. They can only travel within five miles from their residence. So they are not able to meet with each other face-to-face. There are some travel restrictions for us as a ministry, and especially uh, I travel a lot uh, for ministry. I go to different countries. So there are restrictions on going to see the new convert, and some of them are waiting for us to go and baptize them. Uh, They don't feel comfortable sometimes with a local believer to baptize them. They want somebody from outside, so uh, they feel it's more secure to them. Uh, We try to encourage uh, not to do that a lot, but this is the situation. Also, as a TV ministry or media ministry, we produce TV programs to broadcast it either on uh, satellite television or using uh, the Internet Uh, and social media. But to produce, I need to get the crew to come and film or I have to travel. I need to get the speakers either to come and film with us or I have to travel to film with them. And we have some project that we started 
in 2019 who are not able to finish it now because until now uh, because of travel restrictions. So we pray that the Lord will give us more wisdom uh, in being creative. Uh, we have produced a lot of programs since that time that uh, doesn't require a lot of traveling. So we have produced either locally here with the local crew or overseas using our ministry team overseas to produce where they are. But that has some limitations. And of course, the biggest struggle that uh, we have, like anybody else, is the financial stress. A lot of our donors uh, are not giving the way they used to. Some passed away already, and they are on the other side of eternity. Uh, and some lost their jobs. Some has uh, family structure difficulties. And that's all impact giving uh, to the ministry. And at the same time, we all feel the impact of the economy that uh, has been suffering from inflation. So the cost of production and cost of running ministry is increasing horribly. And at the same time, giving uh, is declining than what we like to see. So we trust the Lord that he will provide and he will help us to accomplish with the provisions that he is providing accomplish the things that he has assigned. Now, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation with Samuel Hakim. I also want to make sure that you are aware of an event this Sunday that gives you an opportunity to hear some inspiring stories of God's work among Arabic-speaking Muslims and a report from the founder and president, Samuel Hakim, at this um, celebration uh, and virtual event. And we'll give you the details uh, when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Samuel Hakim. He is the founder and president of Redeeming the Nation's Ministries. There's a virtual banquet and celebration coming up this Sunday evening, and you'll have an opportunity to learn more about this strategic ministry that's uh, reaching out to Arabic-speaking Muslims all around the world. You'll, as I mentioned a moment ago, you'll receive a report from the founder and president, Samuel Hakim. You'll hear from Dr. Clark Tanner, who is the uh, chairman of the board much, much more. Um, this event, uh, maybe you can describe for us, it's it's a night of encouragement, of ministry update, and an invitation for those of us who have a heart for um, uh, Muslims around the world to come alongside the ministry and support the work that God has appointed uh, specifically to redeeming the nations. Help our listeners understand a little bit about what to expect this Sunday. Uh, what to expect Sunday, Georgian? Thank you so much for that question. Number one, we like to update our uh, partners about what God is doing uh, in the ministry and how he's using the ministry to make an impact uh, locally and internationally. Uh, the second thing we're going to share uh, is we're going to hear some testimonies from the believers that accepted Christ on the ground. And some of those testimonies is going to be recorded testimonies with their own voices, their own words, and their own hearts. So we'd like to, to listen to them and rejoice with them and pray for them. Uh, we also, uh, besides the update about what happened last year, we're going to share our vision for next year. 
Uh, and of course, we uh, focus only on two things in redeeming the nation's ministry, uh, evangelism and discipleship. So what we are about to do next year, what uh, God is uh, putting in our hearts to pursue this year, to accomplish his calling in our life. Uh, Besides that, we're going to talk about how we're going to execute our plans for next year. How can we partner? Uh, how can we partner with our friends who are watching the events? And how can we give them an opportunity to impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? This is a much bigger task than what we can do as a ministry or I can do as an individual. This is a calling for the body of Christ to come in, join in, and become partners in sharing the good news with other believers. And by the way, uh, while we were on break, I just got a text. I like to encourage our uh, viewers, uh, our audience today. It's a text that came to me from one of the closed Muslim countries. One of our disciples who accepted Jesus a little while back. And here is what he wrote to me. I'm just going to try to translate it in English. I would like to travel to any country because I want to have the opportunity to be baptized and enter a church. Those mm-hmm. are Christians in closed countries. They cannot find somebody locally to baptize them. And it's their dream to be baptized. It's their dream to have an opportunity to enter a church and worship with the body of Christ. They say, I'm willing to, to, to travel from one country to the other just to complete my faith. I'm translating exactly what he wrote. Uh, and for most of the Muslim converts, if they don't get baptized and have communion with other believers, they don't feel that their faith is complete. There's something is missing for them. And he wants, of course, so that's what he shared, he wants to have some freedom to express his faith to other believers. Uh, so it's, it's a great work that the Lord is doing. Yes. And we have so much that we can do while it's day. You know, uh, one of the things that I enjoy about the Redeeming the Nations uh, banquet this year, as last year, it's virtual. Next year, we're hoping and praying that we'll be able to meet once again in person. Are the encouraging Amen. and inspiring stories of what God is doing in places far from home. Uh, and, and to be reminded that while we're, our attention is focused on, uh, events that are taking place here close with the pandemic and so on, God is always at work. His gospel is always, um, reaching people. It's unstoppable and to be encouraged and inspired. But I think as well challenged, Lord, what role would you have me play in this great unfolding of your story? And, uh, one of the things that you'll have an opportunity to do is all of that. Plus, uh, you know, ask the Lord, how can I come alongside and help encourage these believers? Um, who are challenged, many of whom uh, don't have fellowship of other believers. They're, they'd like to travel in order to be baptized. Just these stories are, are amazing. And you're going to hear all of that at the um, event coming up this Sunday from the comfort of your own home. And I'd like to encourage you to consider inviting a few people over. If you'd like to take a glimpse of, you know, what's the kingdom of God like in the Middle East? What's happening in Arabic-speaking countries? What are believers facing? This is an opportunity to uh, to learn about another branch of the family and how we can come alongside and help them as they endeavor to honor Christ. Now, the event is 
Sunday night at 5 o'clock p.m. And as I mentioned, it's virtual, so you can view that from the comfort of your home. You can find out more um, for, of the event at Redeeming the Nation's um, website, and that's rtnm.org. I also have that link on the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page. Go to the Welcome tab, and at 5 o'clock on Sunday, you'll have the opportunity uh, to listen in. Uh, you can also register for your digital pass. You can either do that with a text or by email. And that information is on the Georgine Rice Show uh, Facebook page as well. But I'll just mention it. Uh, you can, by phone or email, text 503-577-9964 or email jennifer at rtnm.org. And again, you can check that out either online or you can go to the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page. But I want to challenge you. Uh, to take uh, to take this opportunity to be encouraged, inspired, and I think disturbed just a little because it always makes me think: Am I doing enough? Am I am I um, sufficiently concerned about the persecuted believers in other parts of the world? Uh, am I um, thinking about them as the Scripture says uh, that we are to to consider them as if we were in prison, and that our hearts would be moved and we would recognize as the body of Christ we are connected to one another? So let me encourage you to join us, and I'm going to be a part of the banquet as, along with uh, Samuel Hakim and Dr. Clark Tanner, who is the chairman of the board for Redeeming the Nations Ministry. There's going to be a time of worship, great inspiring stories, and a challenge. Uh, as we uh, ask and pray, Lord, what would you have me do? So uh, please check that out and consider joining us along with others who may also be blessed by this uh, this opportunity. Uh, again, I so love the work of Redeeming the Nation's um, Ministries and how God is using this very simple collection of people to do significant work for the kingdom of God. And even allowing that thorn in the flesh that you have suffered through over these last many months, God has continued to use you to build the body of Christ um, elsewhere. I guess my, my last question to you is how can we pray for you and the ministry moving forward as some of us anticipate participating in the upcoming virtual banquet and others of us just want to uh, stay connected and pray for uh, the continued um, move of the spirit through the ministry of redeeming the nations. Uh, thank you, Georgine, so much for uh, the uh, all the nice words that you shared, uh, I cannot have enough thanks for that. I feel humbled by what you shared. How can we pray? Now, we pray for this event to be an event of encouragement for everyone who's going to attend. Uh, it's not just about fundraising. Fundraising will allow us to continue the mission that God put in our heart. It's just a tool. Pray also that God will meet us on this time and meet the need. We are praying for 125,000 to be raised during this event. And so we are trusting the Lord for that. But we want to raise people more than we want to raise money. We want to encourage the body of Christ. We have a bigger task that we need to finish, much bigger than redeeming Mm -hmm. the nations or Samuel Hakim. we need to pray that the Christians in uh, this country will get out of the comfort zone and forget about the fear of sharing the gospel. Because there is an encouragement in hearing testimonies coming from people who suffered a lot, but they accepted Jesus, knowing that they can lose their life as well. Uh, 
we have another opportunity that's coming to our neighborhood here uh, with all the news that we hear about Afghanistan. Yes. What is the opportunity that might come our way? Is not, we don't have to go too far. What opportunities that might come our way? So I would like to invite our audience today to pray for the Muslim background believers, overseas or locally here. We have connection with some Afghani people in Portland, and we know there is a church even inside Afghanistan. And during this horrible time, we need to let them up in prayer. The other thing is we might expect some immigrants to come from Afghanistan to be in our city here, and we need to be prepared. Number one, in prayer. I don't like to see the church moving emotionally and doing things that will will help us emotionally to relax. But we want to ask the Lord what he has for us to do during this coming year when we receive Afghani people in our neighborhood. Uh, And focus on sharing the good news. That's what I encourage the church to do. Learn from the past experience that we had in the last few years with the wave of refugees from different countries. If we focus only on sharing material things, that will end and will not bring food. But uh, the gospel is always about love the Lord and love your neighbor. And to love the Lord, we have to share Jesus with everyone. To love our neighbors, we need to help them. Hello? Yes, we're still here. Okay. Uh, I thought that uh, I lost you. So to love our neighbors, we need to help them to find eternal security. So it's a win-win situation. So may the Lord help us. Yes, yes. Well, again, I'm looking forward to Sunday night. I want to encourage our listeners to take full advantage of the opportunity from the comfort of their own home to join us for this Redeeming the Nation's virtual banquet and celebration. You'll find out what the Lord has done in this last year and looking ahead to what we anticipate the challenges will be. The theme is based on 2 Timothy 2.2, and uh, the scripture reads, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Uh, disciples making disciples. Once again, that's coming up this Sunday at 5 o'clock p.m. You can register for your digital pass um, by uh, texting 503-577-9964 or email jennifer at rtnm.org. You can also get that information at Georgine, uh, the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page in case you happen to be in your car or, or something like that. Uh, Samuel Hakim, I would add to all of the things that you've said, uh, praying for you and your uh, your dear wife, um, for your health, that you would be able to continue the ministry that God has called you to. I know that you have entrusted yourselves to him, and we, uh, we um, as well, trust him uh, for you and your family. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I look forward to Sunday. Thank you, Georgine. It's always a blessing to be with you. God bless. Bye-bye. Again, Samuel Hakim, founder and president of Redeeming the Nations Ministries. One of the um, most significant Jesus followers I've ever met. If you ever have an opportunity to talk with Samuel Hakim and his wife, uh, you're going to be blessed and challenged because they are all in when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just an incredible, uh, incredible couple. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Went a little over in the last segment, so we just have a few minutes. I did want to reference a new uh, survey that indicates evangelism is not a priority in Canadian churches. Let's hope that's uh, different here at home. We were just talking about evangelism with Samuel Hakim and the need not only for us to reach out to uh, countries outside of our own, but to be prepared within the context in which God has called us to be salt and light. But according to Christianity Today, um, they say that even during the crisis of COVID-19, which presents a tremendous opportunity, few are finding ways to share their faith, uh, faith rather, according to this study. Well, if Canadians have been longing for meaning in their lives during the COVID-19 pandemic, it's unlikely that anyone has told them about Jesus. I wonder if that reflects what's happening here at home as well. Well, according to a recent survey conducted by Alpha Canada and the Flourishing Congregations Institute, 65% of church leaders say that evangelism hasn't been a priority for their congregations over the last several years. 55% say their congregations do not equip Christians to share their faith. Uh, Shayla Visar, who's the national director of Alpha Canada, said she was somewhat surprised by the numbers because she sees so many opportunities for Christians to share their faith. The pandemic in particular has caused people to ask significant questions about the meaning and purpose of their lives. The opportunity before the church in Canada is to meet them and their questions with the person of Jesus, to show them that Jesus is very good, that he is real and the answer to questions Not only individuals, but humankind has. Well, the survey asked Canadian leaders across Christian denominations, as you think about your local congregation or parish over the last several years, to what extent would you say your congregation or parish has given priority or not to evangelism? More than 2,700 church leaders responded, and the survey was taken between May and July of this year. Well, about 20% said evangelism was a moderate concern. Only 9% said it was a high priority for members of their congregation to share their faith. Respondents included a few leaders uh, from the mainline United Church of Canada, just over 20% from the Roman Catholic Church. But the majority, though, came from evangelical traditions, including leaders from Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, the Evangelical Free Church, the Church of the Nazarene, the Foursquare Church, and the Salvation Army. The tendency not to emphasize evangelism appears to be widespread. Now, one could probably reason that during a time of crisis that we've all been in for the last year and a half, the focus has been on maintaining and supporting members of the congregation. And the role of church leadership is to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. So you might argue that as you're equipping and maintaining and helping to sustain the congregation, it's the congregation that should then be called out to share the gospel. So maybe that's at least a partial and more encouraging answer. My guess, probably not. Stephen Jones, who's the president of the Fellowship of Evangelical Baptist Churches in Canada, said that he was deeply concerned by the numbers. He noted they reflect the continued decline of evangelical Christianity in Canada. Historically, about 10% of Canadians have considered themselves evangelical. Today, according to the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada's quadrennial census, only 6% of Canadians are evangelical. These are the lowest numbers on record. Now, whether or not one identifies oneself as evangelical is less relevant than whether or not those who are followers of Jesus see sharing their faith as something that, first of all, they're excited to do uh, and that they... um 
are motivated to do. Christianity has increasingly been viewed in a negative light in secular Canadian culture. That may sound familiar, particularly in the wake of sexual abuse scandals and light being shed on the role churches played for decades in residential schools for indigenous people in Canada. And you maybe have heard about the churches, many of them uh, being uh, destroyed in Canada based on uh, these decades of residential schools for indigenous peoples who were abused. Dozens of churches were spray painted, vandalized, burned following the discovery of mass graves at several residential schools this summer. Well, that negative view was clearly seen in the responses to the Alpha survey. The number one challenge to evangelism, leaders said, was a perceived antagonism toward Christian values and the Christian church. And according to David Coop, who's pastor of Coastal Church, a large urban congregation in Vancouver, uh, B.C., A lot of younger Christians have accepted the secular Canadian criticism of the faith. The next generation has a really difficult, uh, a rather different narrative uh, that they are listening to. Now, that is the challenge, not just in Canada, but here uh, a little further south in the United States. Because secular society views church as a problem, he said, many Christians seem to shy away from sharing their faith. At the very least, they're more averse to traditional methods of evangelism. For much of the 20th century, evangelism meant passing out tracts or knocking on people's doors. Today, he says, there's more emphasis on relationships and showing people how you live out your faith. When the survey participants were asked to list the three most common methods of evangelism encouraged among their congregation or their parish, the most common answer was showing one's faith through their actions. Uh, Samuel Hakim made reference to this. Certainly meeting the physical needs of individuals is important, but it's insufficient. Uh, sometimes the expectation is if you're just nice enough, they're going to somehow extrapolate that Jesus is Lord and I need to be saved. Well, there needs to be a witness uh, to who Jesus is as well. Well, he uh, concludes by saying, I think the most effective way is still just to do what Jesus said in Luke 10. Uh, go to people's homes, get to know them, live in a community relationship, pray for them, share your faith, live out your faith. And I hope that uh, that's what we are doing in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our state and across the globe. It is a challenge. The reputation of the church has never been good. We tend to think, well, you know, the reputation in the 21st century in the West has uh, really declined. You think about the first century church uh, when Nero was using Christians to kind of light the way uh, through their persecution. Uh, we really have little to complain about. We are facing the same challenges, perhaps less so than uh, early believers, and the same Holy Spirit that gave them the courage to turn the world upside down indwells the life of the believer today. So we can take seriously the charge that Jesus has given us and ask for wisdom and how to um, how to move forward to share our faith. If we genuinely care about people in our lives, if we genuinely believe what the scripture says about the day of reckoning that is coming and the joy that we have um, had in knowing the love and the forgiveness of Jesus, we're going to want to share that with others. So I hope we're motivated uh, and not uh, demotivated by the culture and their perception of the church. Well, we are out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing and engineering today's program. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Be sure to check out the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page for the details to attend this Sunday at 5 o'clock, the Redeeming the Nation's virtual banquet. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. 
Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.